The David Cassidy Connections with Louise Poynton. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of the David Cassidy Connections, your podcast all about David, his fans, his music, friendships people have because of David and the cherished memories. I am your host, Louise Poynton, and today I'm thrilled to welcome my guest, author Marie Corley. As a little girl, she would make up song lyrics triggered by the Partridge family and David Cassidy, who was her first crush. And it was David's emotional and powerful life story which led to Marie writing her romantic novel, Never Forgotten You. The story is about former teen idol Chris Lassiter, a young man adored by young girls around the world. Karen O'Neill is one of his longtime fans and destined to meet him many years later, when he launches a career comeback, wondering if fans are still going to love him. Their two worlds collide, opening up old wounds, loss, love, health, emotional and religious issues, and how the lives of Chris and Karen are impacted by them. It also examines why holding on to your dream is important. We sat down to talk about her book and the importance of idols in our lives. How lovely to see you, Marie. To meet you this way instead of just on Twitter and stuff. <laughs> it's a blessing to have this now, especially with everything going on. <laughs> I read your book a long time ago, but I, I re-read it again when I knew we were going to be talking. It's such a page turner. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I mean, it's not David's story, but it could well be. Right. Yeah, I tried to change some things around a little bit because I didn't want it to be exactly about him, just more inspired by him and kind of more universal so that all people could relate no matter whether he was their idol or it was somebody else. You know, it it could be anybody. There was a lady that I used to work with that it was so funny because when when I was writing the book, um, one of the things that struck me, and it comes back to that universal um, topic of a teen idol of no matter who it is, that you always remember when when you were inspired by them, when you were when the, you were mesmerized by them. Music used to come on in our store, and um, Ricky Nelson would come on, and that was her era. That was her teen idol. Every time he'd come on in the store, she'd just start smiling and talking about him. And and then when she read the book, she said, you know what? Even though you're writing it in the era where it happened in the 70s, I could relate to it back from when, you know, when Ricky Nelson was on. So that was a nice compliment. I didn't want it to be like every single thing was exactly his story. I wanted enough of it to be there to inspire the story. And, and there is quite a bit. But I wanted there to be a few other little aspects so that everybody could relate no matter what era they grew up in. Uh, and then there's other people I've met through other things that I'm doing that have read it that, you know, either grew up on David or he was their idol or something like that. And I had very positive reviews from them, too, about the story and about the humanness of that teen idol. They're not just that person on a pedestal that everybody idolized. I've had a lot to deal with, and they liked it the way that I dealt with it. You don't actually mention him. You just mention his initials. Correct, yeah. Is, is that deliberate? 
I did, yeah, because I wasn't sure how well it was going to be received. So maybe in future printings, maybe I'll spell it out. <laughs> and of course, I've had some other people ask, are those initials, do they stand for David Cassidy? Like, yes, they do. <laughs> so tell me, where does the idea come from to write this romantic novel? Well, it's kind of been brewing, I guess, for a long time because I wanted to be a writer for a long time. So uh, when I was growing up, part of the reason that the show inspired me was because they always talked about writing songs. That's something that kind of interested me. So, you know, it inspired me creatively to begin with. Then further down the line, when I decided that I wanted to start writing like other things like books articles, whatever. At, at one point, I was reading another novel by another author. In the middle of the book, I put it down and I'm like, you know, I could do this. You know, I could be an author. I could write something. Mm -hmm. And I actually started another book. I had an idea for something else that I got a couple of chapters into. Then all of a sudden, this idea came. It was just basically, I had been reading David's autobiography and things about his story kind of struck me and then I started thinking more about my childhood and how I related to him back then. And then you know, finding out things about what he was going through at the time that I had no idea about because I was a, a little girl. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, and then the, the wheels started turning and I'm thinking, well, what would happen like if you met that person that you idolized when you were in grade school and you met them 20 years later? And so I was in the shower and this idea came to me and then I thought, well, I'll write the idea down and then when I finish writing the other book, I'll work on this one. And I had kind of this voice in my head telling me, put that other one aside. You need to start writing this one now. So that's what I went with. And then I started writing this one and that other one never did get finished. I'm not even sure where the idea would have gone. I think that was just my initial thought and it got me started with the writing of a book. And then it helped me to where I progressed with this when I finally had a really good idea. So had you already planned your story out? It kind of just evolved. I don't write an outline. I just go with it, whatever comes into my head. And yeah. it, it seems to work better that way for me. Sometimes I'll think of something along the way thinking, oh, later on in the book, I think I want this to happen with them. Right. And so I'll keep no just notes on the side because I'm not at that point in the book to write that part yet. And then when, when I get to that part, then I glance at my notes and say, oh, yeah, I wanted to put this in there. But other than that, it's just kind of an as you go, as, as the idea strikes you. But with the characters, before you started writing, did you have an idea of what they were going to look like? Did you visualize them in your mind? Did you decide how their characters were going to evolve? I did to, to some extent. I was thinking of David in his 40s and, you know, pictures of him or seeing him, you know, when he had been in concert or something like that. I did get to see him in Ve Vegas in FX when he was in that. I, I was thinking around that period of time. As for Karen, and her name came from when I was little and I was in kindergarten, I had two best friends named Jenny and Karen. We were all... David Cassidy fans. I mean, we were five years old <laughs> and we were crazy about him. And when I was trying to come up with the female name, I'm like, well, whose name do I want to use? And I thought immediately of both of them. And then I went with Karen because I'm also a Karen Carpenter fan. I just have always loved her. And I thought, okay, we're going to go with Karen. So that's how we decided that. 
And then just as what she looked like, she was going to have some of my characteristics since it, I was thinking about my childhood and growing up, but I did change a few things and some things that she went through that, of course, I haven't gone through, but just a what if scenario. A lot of things I did have kind of set in my mind, but then as I went, other things started to pop into my mind like, well, what if this happened? Mm. And it kind of progressed. I mean, I, I think you've got the characters absolutely right. And there's not too many characters either. Yeah, I, I try to keep it. I didn't want to branch it out too much and make it too busy. The, the, the essential people. It was kind of important for me, too, to have Karen become friends with Sandy because she had moved across the country and all her friends were back, you know, on the other side of the country. Nice for her not only to have a romantic relationship developing, but a friendship with somebody developing over there, too. It was funny because, you know, when the show was on, I was kindergarten, first, second grade, that, that age. You know, you're watching the show and you're watching, like, Keith and Laurie are in high school and, you know, dating and all that kind of thing. So I kept thinking, I wonder what I would look like when I'm 16. And, you know, at that point, you would want to date him or something like that. Kind of imagine being in an episode in your head. <laughs> and then there were some times, too, that I would think, well, it would be kind of cool, like, just to meet him on set, just him, not in character, just him. And th that was part of what was in my head with the story, too, was because after reading his autobiography, that was one thing he kind of stresses, like, him the real person versus him in character as Keith Partridge. So, okay, this woman's going to meet him and meet the real person and see what he's like. You describe going to his comeback concert. Right. You describe that so perfectly because it was like going on your first date. What <laughs> Where? How am I going to style my hair? That's exactly what it felt like g going to, to see him in, in concert. Oh, good. I'm glad to hear that because that's kind of what I was going for. And that was what was going through my, even though I was younger than a teenager, you know, I, I could visualize that and relate to that as I was writing it. So I would, was hoping that that would, you know, move forward as someone was reading it and they would get that same type of feeling too. I didn't see him when I was younger. I was probably mid-30s when I saw him in Vegas in FX. That was the first time I'd seen him in something. It was probably six or seven years later before I saw him in concert. And then I saw him a few times before. He was supposed to come back to Cleveland for something at one of the racetracks, actually. Oh, well, he, well, he did. He did one. I had a wedding that night, and I couldn't go to that one. And then he was supposed to come back and do something, and by that time, his health had deteriorated. You know, he did his last concert, and he wasn't going to be performing anymore. So I kept saying, I wish that wedding wasn't on that night, because then I would have gone to that concert and at least gotten to see him one more time. The first time, my husband went with me, and that was an experience for him. <laughs> Women screaming and everything else, and, you know, I... I you know, I was clapping and yelling, but not like screaming, like that kind of screaming, but he was hearing it all around. Then the next time he was coming around the area, he's like, you go ahead, but maybe take one of your girlfriends this time, because I don't know if I can handle that again. He goes, I totally am fine with you going, you know, the concerts and stuff like that. That's your thing. He goes, I don't think I would enjoy it so much. Maybe you spend the money on a ticket for one of your friends to go, because they might enjoy it a little bit more. He liked his voice and everything. He liked the concert, but he just wasn't too sure about all the screaming. No. So like I said, said at the beginning, it's very much a, a page turner leaves everybody waiting for the next installment. 
And uh, I am working on that. I, it's kind of oh. funny because it's going to be back and forth because I had another idea that was inspired by somebody else because, and this was something that kind of took me by surprise because when I wrote this book, I made the main character's half-brother a Broadway star. That turned out because there's a, another entertainer that I follow and go see his concerts that I've been inspired by to make that as a main character in the next book, the brother who's on Broadway. Mm -hmm. So the next book is going to be set in New York and have that story. And you're still going to hear from Chris and Karen and all that. They're, they're still going to be interspersed in it, but it's going to be the story in New York. And then the third book will pick back up in California with Chris and Karen. It's kind of going to go back and forth. But And I have started working on that part, too. It'll be interesting. Because, <laughs> yeah, it did leave you on, on a definite cliffhanger there. When we were all on lockdown and home for a while, yeah. um, I had time to write. It was like, oh, this is the, the one thing that's nice. Everything else is crazy. But the one thing that's nice is I'm at home and I have time to write. So I had a lot of time to work on things because I, I got to get this moving. I want to get, you know, the second one done. And then I want to get that next one moving again. So I'm, I'm trying to figure out a system here so that I can get it all done. <laughs> well, it, it all takes time, doesn't it? It really does. And it's hard when you also have another job. <laughs> yes. So, and, and I work in a bookstore, which I guess is appropriate for an author to work in a bookstore. It's retail hours. It's crazy. And right now, because of getting through the pandemic, we're short-staffed. So we're working more hours than we normally would. Just you're exhausted when you get home at the end of the day. And some days it helps to write, um, to just sit down and write and not think about, oh, the day at work, not think about any of that kind of stuff. And then there's other days where it's just like, I can't even think right now. <laughs> yeah. And so you just kind of, instead of forcing something that's going to sound really ridiculous when you go to write it, then you're like, okay, I'll pick it back up tomorrow and just give myself permission to rest tonight. But it's getting there. <laughs> now, listen, you, you said at the start that you always wanted to be a writer. Where does the passion for writing and the adulation for the Partridge family and David come into the equation? It, it's funny. I mean, I, I guess the writing thing really did start when I saw them, you know, doing the songwriting on the show. And that started making, making me think about writing, at least the lyrics part of it, because it, even now I do some songwriting on the side and poetry and things like that. But I have mostly lyrics. I don't really have melodies come to me. So I would be one of those people who would probably need the partner to write the music as I write the lyrics or something like that. But that inspired me to start writing. And I would always make up songs in my head when I was little. There were times we would watch the show at my aunt and uncle's house, um, I, usually at home. But sometimes we'd be at their house and I'd watch it with my cousins and they were boys, and they all thought Lori was really cute, you know, <laughs> um, and while I thought, you know, Keith was really cute. My aunt had an organ, and I would sit at the organ, and I was starting to learn to play a little bit, not really that good at it, but I would sit there, and I'd kind of make up songs in my head, and I kind of wish I had thought when I was little to write some of that stuff down just to see what I had come up with when I was a kid, because it would probably be pretty funny <laughs> to see. 
but then as I got older, English was always a favorite subject. English and music were always my favorites. And I loved English. I was one of those people that actually loved diagramming sentences and all that kind of thing when other people were like, oh, I don't want to do that. When I was in high school, we had a, a British literature class and we did Pride and Prejudice. And that became my favorite book. Um, and that was the first time that I thought of actually writing a novel. You know, I thought of it, but I didn't do much with it because I was still, you know, all the homework and school and everything. Then you got out into the world and you get a job and then you get married and you have a family and you don't have a lot of time for it. So it's in your mind, but you don't really start. And then one day I was just finally like, you know what, it's time to start. The interest in the Partridge family and David specifically, that presumably started when you were five years old and watching the television series. Yes, definitely. Now, you're so young. Can you remember the impact seeing David had on you at that age? I'm trying to think how I would describe it as a five-year-old. You were mesmerized by him, I guess, is the the way to put it. Just Mm. everything. Obviously, he's a very good-looking guy, but the voice, I mean, when... Once he opened his mouth and you heard that voice, you were like, I've never heard a voice like that. The voice just kind of sealed the deal right there. Just everything about the show, their their humor, everything. And then it helped that I had friends the same age that, you know, had the same interests too. He was glued to the TV whenever the, the show was on and when he was on and always had the records playing. Uh, in kindergarten, they used to have us do a show and tell and people would bring things in. And sometimes people would bring records in and the teacher would be like, oh, well, let's put it on and play a song off of it or something like that. So my two friends and I, we would take turns bringing in Partridge Family Records. So everybody was always listening to something every week from the Partridge Family. At that age, being that little, I didn't know too much about any of his solo stuff yet. I knew mostly about the stuff from the show. Once I got older, once the show was off the air and I got older, then I started discovering more of the solo stuff. I was even more mesmerized by that because that was him singing as himself, not as a character. And actually, for Partridge Family, there were a couple songs he had written or co-written also. Those kind of hit me, too. Still remember going back when I was starting to get the idea for the novel, uh, going back and listening to some of the old Partridge Family stuff. And then um, that song, There'll Come a Time, and it's the one where about, you know, you might see me after a show, take a good look at me. And it kind of goes with that same theme of look at me, who I am, not the person I am on the show. Take a look at me and get to know me. And that kind of sparked something with me. And then... On the other end of it, when I started listening to the solo stuff, I Am a Clown, that song just hits you. You start thinking about what he must have been thinking when all the different emotions he was having. And it's kind of the same thing of see who I really am. Did you try in your book, Never Forgotten You, we must mention the title. (laughs) Did you try to get inside his head? to try and relay through the novel what he would probably be thinking. I did. I did to some extent. And I did want to make it a little more universal. So I didn't tailor it totally specifically to him. But I did. uh, That was a lot of it was trying to get inside and think what he might be feeling at that moment or what he would be thinking about having somebody get to know him, you know, personally on a personal level instead of just the character they were on the show And then just his thoughts about being away from it for so long and trying to make his comeback. 
that kind of thing. You know, I, I went off a little bit because when I made my character in my book where he said, oh, I couldn't even get arrested on Broadway when he wanted to be on Broadway, but David did make it to Broadway. So I kind of played with that a little bit. Did you want to examine the nature of fame and celebrity culture? Absolutely. And that does kind of go back to, you know, reading his autobiography seeing all the different things he went through, through his eyes after he's lived it, all the craziness that he dealt with, just for people to see. And and it goes for David and for whoever else is in the public eye like that. There's a real person that people have to remember that there's always a real human being that you don't just put this person, even though they're inspiring you or whatever, you don't put them on a pedestal. And, and when you're a little kid, that's kind of, that kind of happens anyway. You know, you have to show that they're a real person, that they, you know, they have real emotions, real feelings. There's more to them than just what you're seeing. Even now you see different people that when someone who's well-known has an opinion about a subject and they'll be like, oh, I don't want to hear what you have to think about that. Just shut up and sing or shut up and act or shut up and paint or whatever you do. You know, that always makes me upset because it's like, okay, you're talking about their profession or their career, you wouldn't say to somebody who's your lawyer, oh, just shut up and, you know, try my case or just, you know, something like that or tell your doctor, shut up and prescribe me my medicine. You know, I don't want to hear what you have to say. Why do people do that to people that are in the public eye just because of, you know, that's what they do for a living? They have a right to an opinion on important subjects of what's going on in the world and stuff too. That was one of those things I wanted to get across is that, that type of fame, it's a double-edged sword sometimes that where that person that has that fame is going through it and they enjoy, there's a lot of things that they're grateful for about it and that they love about it, but there's the, the other aspects that kind of weigh on them and that they have to deal with and you have to realize that they're going to have those emotions about it. Do you think it's important we have idols in our lives? I do. I, you know, and, and obviously it started with, me at a young age and I think it does for a lot of people with whoever their idol is it helps you especially for those of us that wind up being in the creative field that we write or musicians or you know actors or artists or whatever those idols inspire you in whatever artistic endeavor that you take on it kind of plants that seed when you're a kid to bring that forth and then you wind up I mean there are a lot of people that I wind up hearing about um, and I know you've had some, you know, on your podcast before too, but a lot of people that they were inspired by David to write as a musician, as other things. And there's even other people that you'll read something casually about somebody like Trisha Yearwood. I read about her, the one she gave an interview the one time and she goes, oh, I knew I wanted to sing when I watched the Partridge family. And you know, I had David up all over my walls. And I'm like, yeah, I, I hear you. That sounds familiar. So it just really, and you know, she wound up being this incredible singer. It just cements that from a young age with you, those people to inspire you. It awakens a lot of emotions in you. And like you said, like if you're a young kid and it's a teen idol where you're having those kind of love feelings to some extent. You get to try those out as a young kid before you even start dating people. <laughs> you know, you, you can think things through different scenarios in your head, learn different things from them. I, I think nowadays, more now to so some of these idols, they reveal a lot more about 
their personal life. So you get to know the real person more. I'm also glad that a lot of them still keep their private side because nobody should have every single piece of information about them out in public for everybody to know. You should still get to have your private life. But it's good that a lot of them are sharing certain aspects of them so people realize they're not their character or whatever that that they portray that, you know, they're somebody else. You see, what is so compelling about your book, and again, let's make it clear, it's not David's story, but his inspiration is certainly there. But the way you've written the narrative, when your character Chris is talking, you can hear David's voice. I would hear his voice when I was writing it, so I wondered if that would come across. <laughs> My title, it took me a while to come up with the title, but then when I did, it fit perfectly for me because it was not only Never Forgotten You, like I've never forgotten the person who inspired me when I was little, the, the teen idol, but it's also like because Karen is now going for her dreams that she's always had like I've never forgotten my dreams either you know I've never forgotten and it's time to go for them so it relates on more than one level how did you pick the front cover picture that was something that going through create space they had covers to choose from you publish for free with them um unless there's like extras like, if you wanted them to create a special cover art, then you would have to pay for that. If you wanted them to edit it, you would have to pay for that. I think some other things that that were extras. So they had a, a good amount of covers to choose from. So then I found the one that most resembled what my story was about. Fake show that I used for the book, you know, instead of actually it being the Partridge family or something like that. The fake show still also took place in California, so... When Karen was little, she dreamed of going to California. And then obviously, her because of her job, she wound up in California. So it was perfect because then there was a lot of, you know, she always loved the beach. So then there's a lot going on on the beach. Have you ever thought what it is about our teen idols that when we fall in love with them, what made them so special? Is it that they never seem to outgrow their dazzling boyish charm or because those images take us back to a safe place it wasn't scary to fall for that image you know out there definitely i feel like even now when you go back and revisit it it's it's comforting to go back and think about those times and especially now because there's so many scary things going on in the world (laughs) so it is very comforting to go back and think on those times you know those type of feelings when things were more innocent they're of that age where everything gets you overexcited. <laughs> Multiply that times how many thousands of people at him all the time. You know, that had to, you know, weigh on him sometimes. It's a novel that actually addresses a lot of issues. It addresses faith, but it also addresses health issues and fears of losing people that you love and why it's important that you chase your dreams. Were they particular messages that you wanted to to put out through this narrative? There really were, and that's another thing. I always say that the novel is semi-biographical because there are elements of me in it. The, The following your dreams thing was really important to me because you know, I spent my whole life in, in jobs that I liked, but they, you know, aren't necessarily fulfilling things that I've always wanted to do is like, I finally need to like follow my dreams and do those things. And I'm still even working on that because obviously to pay the bills, I'm still working a regular job in addition to 
writing until that's built up enough. It was important for me to address that. You know, those dreams that you had when you were younger, for the most part, the majority of them, you can still reach for them. Writing, um, music, other things like that, um, that you've always wanted to do. Those are things that you can still go for and see where it leads you. To me, that's really important because you really don't want to go through your whole life not getting the chance to at least try for what you really wanted to do and what you really want to be. And I really wanted to stress that. The health issue kind of drives home that point. It's something that is a wake-up call for a lot of people if they have something like that happen, that they really, really need to start at that point knowing that, you know, nobody on earth knows exactly how long they are on earth. And you need to make the most of all the time that you're here. And if there's something you really want to do or really want to try, you should do it. And that's important. I, I thought that the way that you had woven it into the book, the relationship that your main character, Chris, has with his priest was very interesting and very moving. And that it would make your readers sit up and, and question what their faith is. The faith aspect is important to me. I'm, I'm not somebody who in my novels like quote scripture or anything because there are a lot of people, especially people that are like newer to the faith, They want to get their foot in the door with it and start learning, you know, more about personal relationship with their faith. Sometimes you lose people if you quote a lot. So, you know, it's better to keep them. And then at some point you might mention something or a character mentions something that relates to that. Then they can pick up on it. It is kind of important to realize no matter who is in your life, it's you live with yourself and you know what's best for you. But also if you're, relying on your faith and you're relying on God, you go right to him. Other people can give you good advice, but you have to take it all with a grain of salt and really think it through and see what applies to you, what what works for you, because the same advice doesn't work for every single person. And if you pray about it, you can get some clarification that way too. You know, the priest isn't there with him every single minute of the day. He's not there when he's on his dates with Karen. He's not there when he's uh, rehearsing with the band. He's not there when he's talking to this person or that person. He's only, he only sees him on certain occasions. You can understand him worrying about him and being careful, like, okay, you know, just don't jump into things too fast. Be careful because you've had your heart broken before. But he also shouldn't take that to the point where, you know, he's like demanding that he behave a certain way when he's not there with him to know what the relationship is really like. Another point that I I found very interesting was that Karen leans heavily on her faith. The character of Chris seems to be needing to discover that faith himself through his career, the decisions that he makes. I I agree with that. She was a little more secure in her faith and she still has her moments because we're all human. We all have our moments when we question things. Or things come up where you're like, okay, well, how should I handle this? And where does my faith come into play with that? But he is definitely the one that is still learning a lot more about that and learning where his faith comes in and questioning a lot more. Do you think that by writing this novel, it helped you to understand the mind of of a teen idol and the pressures that they are faced with? Definitely a lot better. Back in the day, um, I used to help a 
another entertainer out that is here locally in Ohio. He grew up here and I didn't actually know him, but I knew his dad, which is how I wound up helping him. Um, he was on a show on VH1 called Confessions of a Teen Idol. There were like seven or eight guys in the house and, you know, they went through and talked about all these different things that they went through. And that show was on before, well, it was when I started writing this book. That kind of helped me to under, you know, hearing them all give their stories helped a little bit more too. But then as I was writing, you know, I'd have revelations come to me as I was writing about different things possibly David was going through or somebody would go through with something like this. And I think I even had in the book where Chris is talking to his brother, Brian, who's the Broadway star. Brian's younger, Brian's Karen's age. uh, He's a little bit younger. Brian says something about that. It's hard to, you know, wrap your head around what you went through if you haven't lived it. And And Chris said to him, it's sometimes still hard to wrap your head around it if you have lived it. And that's something that I have often thought about David is that he would probably still wonder, how did I even make it through all those things in the first place that happened to me? You know, I've been through a lot in my life. Nobody else could probably understand just how crazy it was. Your book is a sweet romance. It certainly addresses the issues we spoke about before. Are you happy with the end result? I've also had people say that they're glad that it's a clean romance because, you know, there's a, t- there's a time and a place for the, any kind of romance, the erotic ones or whatever, but they like that mine was clean because of the type of subject matter that it's about. Yeah, I tried to keep it, you know, I wanted to give some description, but vague enough where people could still, you know, either insert themselves into it or imagine it being in their time, in their era. I'd come up with some different ideas. Even the book I'm writing now, um, the next one, you'll think of something and then a whole section, you're like, that's networking. And you'll take that part out, rewrite a whole section. And and I was doing that. My main problem once I finally got done with it was finding an editor because since I wound up Mm. self-publishing, I still needed an editor. Everybody that I was looking for, they were really expensive. And when you're just working a day job and you don't have the kind of money that some editors want, you know, to go over your book, it's difficult. And it took a while to finally find one. It was worth it. It's it's worth every minute. (laughs) But when the box came and I opened it and there's my book with, you know, my title, my name on the cover and my hands are shaking with the book in my hand and then I'm going through it. So that was quite a feeling. Yeah. There's no moment like that at all. You know, some people have a Kindle or a Nook. I have a Nook. You know, if you can't get a print book, I'll use that. But other than that, I have to hold a book in my hands. There's you, there's nothing like having a book actually in your hands. As book lovers, should we be educating children about the importance of books in their lives? Oh, yes, absolutely. One thing about working in a bookstore is I get to see at least some of the kids that come in that, you know, love to read their joy when they come in and get books. It's like, it's so nice to see that still happening now that, it, you know, that there's still young kids that can't wait to get a new book and can't wait to start reading it and are exciting to come in and look at everything. You know, it's more than 50 years now since the Partridge family first launched and everyone fell in love with David. Doesn't it tell us a great deal about him that we still associate him so strongly with that role? And that tells us just how good he was. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, if, you, if you've if you nailed a role and it, 
I've seen it, you know, obviously with him, I've seen it from that point when I was little, but then I've seen it with other people that have played some type of iconic role, whether it be, you know, on TV, on film, on Broadway, they're so good at what they did that then all of a sudden people are like, well, I don't know, can they do something else? Because they're so good at what they just did. And they're like, yes, I can do something else. You know, I'm more versatile as, you know, an actor than that. It's kind of funny. They're like, well, obviously I did a really good job because these people think that I did such a good job that I, that's the kind of person I am and I can't do something else. But that's the whole idea of acting is that you can do other things too. You can play other people, but absolutely he did such a good job that you, you can't help. And even when I was writing the, the book, I'd have dreams. And I, I used to keep a dream journal and I'd stopped a long time ago, but I'd have dreams once in a while. And I'd dream of him like in character in the show. And there'd be that kind of dream. But then I'd be writing a different section of the book and I'd have a dream where it was just David walking down the street and d- talking to somebody or something like that. So it, I kind of wound up balancing both. You know, and obviously as a little kid, you're, you know, what you mostly see is the show. You know what a good job he did. Would you have liked David to have seen your book? I Yeah, and it, it's one of those things that, you know, it came out um, about a year and a half before he passed away. And at that point, you know, he was having some problems, but you didn't think it was going to wind up the way it did. It was out there and people, you know, I was see- seeing how it was received, you know, with different people. I'm like, okay. So far, so good. And I always thought at some point I'd be able to, you know, get a copy to him and that maybe he'd be able to see it. Maybe I'd be able to get some thoughts on it. I waited and then I waited and then you wind up thinking, okay, well, I obviously waited too long because he's not with us anymore. And I I do wish that he'd have been able to see it. I I keep thinking about when it happened, I was thinking back, like my mom, like when she was in her teens, I think. She loved Mario Lanza, cried for days when he died. That hit her really hard. And when David passed away, I had been thinking about her with that. Along the way, you know, you kept hearing like updates like, okay, he's in the hospital. This is going on. That's going on. You know, when I finally heard that he didn't make it, I had just left work and gotten in my car. I had, um, I think it was a Facebook notification from somebody at what um, his drummer, Terry, because I'm friends with her on Facebook. You might know her too, mm. but she was trying to keep people updated. And there was an alert from her on my phone when I got in my car saying that he hadn't made it. So I kind of just sat in my car for a while and then finally drove home. But I'm like crying as I'm driving home. Okay, God, get me home. Okay. Cause you know, this is not good. That was, that was really rough. My son had become a fan along the way, too, because he'd heard me listen to the albums. And then, you know, the the show came out on DVD, so we watched it together, and he loved the show and everything. He obviously wasn't as affected as me, but he still felt it when David passed away, too, just because he's like, I just started getting to know about him, you know, and now he's gone. At least could sympathize with me with what was going on. But I just remember trying to very carefully drive home that night because I had found out just when I left work. The news is on and every half hour when they're doing their news updates, you hear the music start playing and you hear his voice and hear them announcing it. And it's like, oh, how many more times I can hear it announced because it just hits you all over again every time you're hearing it. Nothing ever changed that smile, that's for sure. 
but it just it brings all those emotions back. It, it does. Oh, I can probably mention that I did get to go to Saratoga Springs to the racing museum. I went to see a friend perform was performing in Saratoga Springs at another place. I, when when I realized that's where I was going, I'm like, wonder how far it is to the museum. You know. I'm Googling it, and the museum was three miles from our hotel. I'm like, well, that's a given. We're going to the museum. And she took pictures of me on the bench and everything else because they had the two benches. Uh, and we took pictures of the benches, but that was pretty moving to go see. It was one of those things where I always said, well, at some point I want to go to it. And then when I realized that that was where I was going for this concert, uh, I said, okay, this is the day. <laughs> this is when we do it. So we, we drove in and we went to the concert. And then the next morning after breakfast, we went to the museum. <laughs> it's one of those things where you don't realize it till you get there. You're walking through and you're seeing the exhibits with the other things, you know, the, the jockeys, racing silks and everything else. And then you get out to the courtyard, to the benches, and then it just kind of hits you all of a sudden when you get out there. I loved horses growing up, so knowing how much he loved horses, that, you know, that's another thing. It kind of shows more of his nature, too. What do you think David's legacy should be? Oh, wow. Um, it's kind of a mix of things. I mean, obviously his legacy is just how much joy he brought to the world. Through playing Keith Partridge, through his concerts, you know, whether he was singing Partridge Friendly songs, whether he was singing solo songs, whatever whether he was on Broadway or in Vegas or whatever, he's doing all the different things, the joy that he brought, the way he's inspired so many people. And then just in later years, his legacy of people to realize that whoever you are, no matter what you've done for a living, what it is your career has been, the highs that he's had and everything, everybody has their problems. Everybody has their issues, um, him included. And that, you should be compassionate with people that are going through things, whether you idolized them or not, uh, whether they were in the public eye or not, that you should be more understanding. Realize that even people that bring joy to the world have their issues to deal with. It's been lovely meeting you. Nice to meet you too. Well, I enjoyed this a lot. My thanks today to Marie Corley, whose book, Never Forgotten You, is available through Amazon. If you have enjoyed today's show, remember you can catch up with all episodes going back to August 2020 on your preferred podcast listening platform. Do review and subscribe so you will be among the first to hear when new episodes are released. So until we connect again.